This is Scott, host of the Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast and Black author. You could get all three of my books. My first book, Systematic Racism and Capitalism, Alliance of Oppression. My second book, Hypocrisy in America, The Veil of White Supremacy. And my third book, my first novel, Exodus 2035, all available on Amazon.com and Amazon Kindle. If you don't have a Kindle, you can download the Kindle app to your smartphone or tablet, and you can access those products. Thanks for listening. I've never seen it. We're looking now at the car that has the woman of the moment, Ms. Meghan Markle, making its way towards the west steps of St. George's Chapel. Well wishers. Waving taking photos. What a moment of history for her. And in just a few moments' time, the doors will open and we will get to see a dress that has been talked about more than any other dress in the last couple of months. A lot of speculation, not least by us this morning. We will see Meghan Markle in all her splendor. What was it like introducing Megan to your father and your brother? Um, uh, what was it like? It was exciting. I mean, I, you know, I've been seeing her for a, for a period of time where I literally didn't, didn't tell anybody at all. And then William was longing to meet her, and so was Catherine. So, you know, being our neighbours, we managed to get, get that in a couple of, well, quite a few times now. Um, and Catherine's been absolutely um, amazing, as is William as well, you know, fantastic support. And then my, my father's always had a, you know, a couple of, no more than that, a handful of teas and meetings and, and all sorts of gatherings over, over his place as well. So, um, no, the family together have been absolutely um, you know, solid support and, and my grandparents as well have been, have been wonderful throughout this whole process and they've known for quite some time. So, how they... Speaking to Oprah, the Duchess of Sussex described a world that left her isolated and feeling trapped. I remember so often people within the firm would say, well, you can't do this because it'll look like that. You can't, so even, can I go and have lunch with my friends? No, 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 you're oversaturated, you're everywhere. And I said, I've left the house twice in four months. I'm everywhere, but I am nowhere. And from that standpoint, I continued to say to people, I know there's an obsession with how things look, but has anyone talked about how it feels? Because right now, I could not feel lonelier. Loneliness, along with an onslaught of negative headlines that the palace would not refute, and that Meghan Markle insists were false, led to thoughts of suicide. I just didn't, I just didn't want to be alive anymore. And that was a very clear and real and frightening constant thought. And I remember, I remember how he just cradled me and I was, I went to the institution and I said that I needed to go somewhere to get help. And I was told that I couldn't, that it wouldn't be good for the institution. I share this because there are so many people who are afraid to voice that they need help. 
and I know personally how hard it is to not just voice it, but when you voice it, to be told no. But we had to go to this event, and I remember him saying, I don't think you can go, and I said, I can't be left alone. Because you were afraid of what you might do to yourself? And we went, and that... So sorry to hear that. The couple also shared with Oprah that when they were expecting their son, Archie, the palace brought up his title and security detail. Those months when I was pregnant, all around this same time, so we have in tandem the conversation of he won't be given security, he's not going to be given a title, and also concerns and conversations about how dark his skin might be when he's born. What? Welcome to the Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast, that clip courtesy of CBS News the historic interview with the Duchess of Sussex and Prince Harry. Let's talk about the clip that was just played. Meghan Markle said she was bullied and miserable and was mentally in a place where she did not want to live anymore. And they told her she could get no help. She also talked to Oprah about when she was pregnant, she was told her son won't have security won't have a royal title and oh yeah how dark is a little nigger gonna be we're, we're curious on a scale of you know drake to, to idris elba do you think you know what we can expect do we need to get some murray's hair grease and 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 some do-rags to keep little archie's you know waves tight we met your mom she's a little brown with dreadlocks so we were curious she also made it a point to say there were several conversations on how dark this baby could be with Prince Harry and some in the royal family more than likely his dad talked to Prince Harry about you know what that would look like and you know how how that would be to have a to have a black child I'll ask that of both of you because this was different you know it's different because different because of the race and social media and social media oh yes right different time that didn't didn't exist and so it was like the wild wild west it was Mm -hmm. spread like wildfire plus my being american it translated in a different way across the pond so you had a noise level that was very different but if they can't see that it's different so you felt bullied on an international level look i think they I think the volume of what was coming in and the interest was greater because of social media, because of the fact that I was not just British, um, and that unfortunately, if members of his family say, "Well, this is what's happened to all of us," or if his, you know, if if they can compare what the experience that I went through was similar to what has been shared with us. Kate was called Weighty Katie, waiting to marry William. While I imagine that was really hard, and I do, I can't picture what that felt like. This is not the same. And if a member of his family will comfortably say, we've all had to deal with things that are rude. Rude and racist are not the same. Mm. And equally, you've also had a press team that goes on the record to defend you especially when they know something's not true. And that didn't happen for us. You mentioned earlier. Meghan Markle has been bullied in the British press for three years because of her race. They called her an ape. 
which historically they have a history of comparing black people to monkeys. They would say that about Serena Williams a lot, comparing her to a gorilla going up against these dainty white women who had no chance against the strong ape like Serena. They also said Meghan Markle was straight out of Compton. Meaning she's from the ghetto. Meghan Markle is from L.A., but she is not from Compton. She probably never even been to Compton before. But they love to paint the narrative that all black people are are from some ghetto. Us. You mentioned earlier, Harry, that you were hurt by the fact that there's been no acknowledgement on the part of your family that this was different because of race. Mm -hmm. Do you think there ever will be? And would that make a difference to you? Yeah, it would make a huge difference. Um, you know, as I said, <laughs> there's a lot of people <laughs> that have seen it for what it was. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people. Like, it's talked about across the world. <laughs> Yet, the, the very people that don't want to see it or can't see it choose not to see it. In the clip I just played, Prince Harry said, yes, this is about race. And his family won't admit it or talk about it. All during this interview, they talked in very interesting terms. They referred to being in the royal family as being in the system, the firm, the institution, the system is an organized effort, not ignorance, to control and protect a family and a country that is deeply rooted in racism. That's white supremacy. Control, protect, and uphold the system, the institution, and undermine and destroy anything that is non-white that tries to integrate with us. We don't share power. Your black kids won't get any security or royal title. We won't use our press team to defend your black wife when they call her an ape from the ghetto. Your black wife can't get help for her mental health because that might be a bad look for us royal white folks. Just tell her to tough it out. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. The global system of white supremacy is so strong that the Prince of England had to pack up his family and flee from his own country because he was powerless to stop the press from driving his wife to suicidal thoughts, all because she's a black woman. An entire country turned against one black woman because she married a white man and became a duchess. And they were not (laughs) about to be a subject of a negress from America. When the British press After this interview aired in in the UK and the British press took to the streets to ask the people their thoughts, here were their comments. It probably wasn't fair. And, you know, in some ways it is because when you go into that type of thing, the royal like family, you've got to be expected to to get some criticism and so forth from the press about it. The palace have their protocols and their their guidelines and their uh, historical 
things to follow and you've got to respect that. Did you think that the tabloids went too far with their coverage of Meghan? Yeah, I think there's too much of a focus on like the racism angle, and I think a big part of it is like American xenophobia. Do you think race played a role in how she was treated? No. No, I just no, I, I just don't think so. If there's one thing, you can't accuse the royal family of, of any race issues, can you? Why not? When is it? When have you ever heard of anybody saying, oh, the palace were racist or something like that? No, for me, the royal family can't do anything wrong. I will say the global system of white supremacy, stronger than ever, intact in the UK and America, all over the globe. One footnote, when Prince Harry and Meghan were able to come to America black male Tyler Perry he offered them a mansion to stay in and security for three months so kudos to him March is women's history month and here on the unprocessed knowledge podcast we are going to acknowledge white women's role in the system of white supremacy that does not get talked about enough author and historian and PhD Elizabeth Gillespie McRae who is a white woman was recently on the context of white supremacy where she talked about her over 30 years of historical research and she said when it comes to the white women's role in maintaining the system of white supremacy this is what she found sort of another like nagging question that I had that after growing up as a, a white Southern woman and going to school um, in the high school and then college um, in the South and working in DC that um, I felt like I hadn't sort of witnessed that history um, in a way. And so um, when I went to search for the questions, what I found, right, were white women as teachers, white women, as textbook censors, white women in public welfare offices, white women um, who were registrars at courthouses, recording marriages and recording births, um, white women who were telling stories um, in the newspapers about contented Southern black men and women eating watermelon and being happy in their sharecroppers' cabins. Um, and sort of promoting the story of um, black satisfaction with segregation. Um, like every, I kept every time I sort of chased a story down or looked at an institution, I found white women doing this really critical work, sustaining white supremacy, and it didn't get much coverage it needs to be pointed out that you cannot have a system of white supremacy without my white man and white woman. A lot of times it just gets put off on that evil white male. February just passed. We, we got I, I, I watched Judas the Black Messiah. I watched the United States versus Billie Holiday. I've, I've watched several, several movies that, that focuses on black struggle. And it's always the evil white male who comes against them and, and destroys them. It's almost <laughs> as if they don't want to put any burden on the white woman they get totally overlooked um, the only movie i can really think of is probably the help right the, the the evil white woman she was the she was the villain in that but it's almost always the white man 
we cannot overlook the significance of the white woman's role in maintaining a system of oppression. I was listening to my guys at Separate the Two podcast, and they had a segment in which they asked a very interesting question. Uh, I was talking to a guy at work today, and he was saying, he was saying, who writes history? Is it the winner Mm -hmm. or the loser? The winner. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just like you you get you'll get two different perspectives on, on what happened. Like who does write the history? That's a great question. Shout out to Separate the Two Podcasts. You can catch that podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, the iHeartRadio app. Follow them on Instagram at separate underscore the underscore two. That is a great question. So let's go ahead and answer it. Let's go back to one more time to PhD author and historian Elizabeth. Gillespie McRae. Yeah, so I think um, I find it super important, and sometimes when I talk about it, I think people probably lose interest because it seems kind of wonky, but I think this is um, the textbook censorship and the way that American history is shaped by white supremacist women is really critical to the um, 20th and the 21st century. Um So what white women did, and white Southern women um, were at the forefront of this in the um, 1920s, is as um, public education um, came uh, more and more under um, state government, there um, was the development of textbook selection committees. And, And that development of statewide textbook selection committees happened, um, in the in in the Jim Crow South among white state governments before it happened other places, and so white women like Mildred Lewis Rutherford, like the United Daughters of the Confederacy, um, conducted a campaign, knowing now that to control the history narrative, all they had to do was control the textbook selection committee, and it rippled out. So if they campaign the textbook selection committees. Um, to shape and adopt certain historical narratives that um, upheld the first KKK, that erased Nathan Bedford Forrest's um, Fort Pillow massacre when um, he led Confederate troops to shoot um, black Union troops who were surrendering in the back. That disappeared. Um, Harriet Tubman disappeared. Um, from um, textbooks, and that was the work. Um, the war between the states became the new name for the Civil War, and that was the work of white women controlling these textbook selection committees. And in a sort of capitalist calculus, um, textbook publishers realized that they made more money from states that offered state textwide, statewide textbook selection. And so the books that they printed for the nation became the books that white Southern women had campaigned their textbook selection committees in each state to adopt. So kids in California and New York are reading an American history that was shaped by white supremacist women who were trying um, to uphold racial segregation. Well, there you have it. Who wrote history? White supremacists, Southern women, 
They wrote it and they distributed it through the nation and they taught it to your kids. Go check out the very first episode of the Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast. Who taught you? Dig that one out the archives. That's been my time, guys. Thanks for listening.